Hi, I am Jackie Lorette. I'm the associate pastor here, especially if you're a guest. That's who I am. Our uh, senior pastor, George Lumpkin, is with the folks in Puerto Rico on the mission trip until Friday. And if I was particularly nervous about the candles on the cupcake, it's probably because I very specifically promised George that I would not let the church burn down in his absence. <laughs> so, uh, so that one hit a little close to home. I'm glad that's out of there. Um, but uh, we were also, uh, along with a group of delegates from our church and church leaders, we were also in Corpus Christi this past week for annual conference, which uh, was a place where we could share worship together. We could meet with, with other clergy and other uh, church members from around this part of Texas and uh, also get some church business done. Um, and before we left for Corpus, I, I had, I've known for quite a while that I was uh, scheduled to preach. So early last week, I knew that I would have only a couple of days to uh, prepare a sermon as opposed to ha having kind of the whole week set aside uh, to get that work done here and there. And uh, so I thought I would do what the folks do in Silicon Valley, and I would crowdsource it. I, I thought, you know, I can reach people from all over the country. I will harness the power of people, and I will ask my friends what, what they think of Pentecost. So I asked a few different people. Uh, I asked one person what they thought of Pentecost, and uh, they were raised in the church, and very honestly, they answered, I don't know. I don't know anything about that, which uh, was very honest and very fair. It makes sense. It's a confusing uh, makes a great, uh, you just heard the story of Pentecost. It's a strange story. Uh, makes a great Sunday school story, a great coloring book image with these tongues of fire. But what does it even mean? It's crazy. So this person said that they didn't know. Um, I then asked my uh, college roommate who I've known for years, I asked her, what do you think of Pentecost? Actually, let me back up. First, I asked her if she would uh, write my sermon for me. She said no. Um, she didn't have time or something. So uh, she said no. So then I said, okay, well, if you're not going to write my sermon for me, uh, will you please just help me, with, help me with this? Give me your answer. What do you think of Pentecost? And uh, so my friend, uh, she replied with what, a single fire emoji. Um, and that didn't help me. That's not, how do I preach that? It's, it's visual. So, uh, so anyway, that was of no help. So I asked somebody else. I asked another friend, what do you think of Pentecost? And uh, this person actually replied with a very, uh, they, they read the text and they replied with a very thoughtful, very in-depth answer. And what struck them about this Pentecost story is that the disciples are all gathered together in Jerusalem and uh, they're waiting on the Spirit of the Lord, and suddenly other people are, are able to hear them in their native language, which means that these other people from, as the, the text says, from every nation on the earth, they're all already there. They're just around. That Jerusalem is like, is the, like this melting pot, and there are all sorts of people who are immediately brought into the conversation in an instant, and they're able to hear, and they're brought in. Uh, so that, that was, um, I'm thankful to John because he, he really gave the question a lot of thought uh, and got me really thinking about 
what, what, uh, what happened at Pentecost? And I don't mean the nuts and bolts of, of how it worked, of the Spirit coming. I don't know. That's a mystery. That's way above my pay grade. But what are the, what are the results of it? What are the outworkings of it? What is from that moment on? And uh, I think that we, uh, we have some sense that it's important, especially if you listen to, to our hymns that, that the choir led us in. We have all of these Pentecost songs inviting the Spirit to come and descend on us, inviting God to send His Spirit to light us on fire, and we pray for it. We pray for it e- even on other Sundays. But I want to give us a little caution because I want to make sure we know what we're praying for uh, in case we get it. Uh, my, my college friend, um, who refused to write the sermon for me, she also, um, she did give me an idea. She said, well, okay, instead of writing a sermon, why don't you stand in silence for 15 minutes and, and, and see if the Holy Spirit just comes, right? And, and I just told her, you are going to feel so dumb if that happens and you're not here on that Sunday. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but it is an interesting question. Are we prepared? We ask God to send his spirit, but are we, do we know what we're in for? Do we need to buckle up in case that actually happens? So what does the spirit bring? We should know that if we're going to ask for it, okay? So I think the first thing the spirit does, as we read in the text, is the spirit brings others in. And uh, that started way back before. It started with Jesus you know, when Jesus started calling his disciples, the first few were, were uh, a couple of brothers and their friend, Simon Peter, and uh, they were all good, good Jewish boys and probably had a lot of things in common. And then they follow Jesus, and really quickly they start collecting all sorts of other sorts. They start collecting tax collectors and women, and they start talking to people who are demon-possessed, and they start eating with Samaritans, and they start helping Romans, and before they know it, it's all out of hand, right? It started with just the right sort of people, and now it's just everybody's, everybody's invited. This is crazy. So uh, Pentecost sort of does the same thing. These disciples are, are more diverse and eclectic than they would have been without Jesus, uh, but then all of a sudden, all of these other people from every nation on earth are brought into the conversation. And let me tell you why that's disruptive. Because we humans are, if we're experts at anything, we're experts at creating our own little categories and creating our own communities of people who think like us or people who look like us or people who live like us. We do it instinctively. I remember when I was a, a kid in elementary school reading in the history textbooks about how there used to be segregation in schools and getting so relieved when I got to the paragraph that now it's illegal, there's no more segregation. Isn't this wonderful? And I never thought about it again for decades until I moved to Beaumont, Texas. And I was looking up on my phone the, the school district we were in And I thought, let me look up uh, the kind of resources Josiah's school is going to have. He's in first grade. What what, what kind of place is this? How much money does the school have? Which was not very much. But I was reading about this elementary school, and I got to one statistic which said that there are 600 students at this school, and six of them 
are Caucasian. And suddenly all these thoughts started running through my head of like, is Josiah go going to fit in? How will, how will he feel? You know, I'm sure these are great kids, but, but are they going to accept him? Naturally, he's going to look differently from them. Are they going to accept him? Is he, is he going to make friends? Is he going to be bullied? What's going to happen? And all of these thoughts started running through my head. This only became an issue for me when it became an issue for me. That God forgive me that I had walked in to countless rooms in my 30 years of my life where there was one person of color. And I didn't, that, it didn't matter to me. How, ex, how accepted is everybody? How welcome is everybody? It became an issue for me when it affected my child. We are so good at creating our own little communities. I won't even get into how we are on social media. We've got, we've got our hermetically sealed little echo chambers of people who think just like us, especially on social media. But we're just a little bit more likely to welcome someone who makes us comfortable. We're just a little bit more likely to send our kids to a school where they'll fit in. We're just a little bit more likely to invite that person to Sunday school if we know that they, that they think like us. And before you know it, we've got these borders set up and we don't know how to tear them down. And the Holy Spirit is in that business. The Holy Spirit does it right away. You have these people together in Jerusalem worshiping and in an instant, all of those borders and barriers are folded up and packed up and put away. All of those things are. In an instant, everything changes. Now, just, just to highlight that, uh, I, I love this church. This is a wonderful church. I've talked to many of you who want, deeply want this to be a multi-generational and multi-ethnic church. Try to think for a minute about how disruptive it would be if right now, snap of the fingers, this sanctuary demographically instantly became just like the demographics of our city. Ethnically, age-wise, income-wise, everything. Just suddenly, boom, just pe people in here just look, look just like the people out there. That would be so disruptive. That would be so disruptive. Decisions would be made differently. People would have a, a different piece of the conversation. The Holy Spirit brings others in. And that messes with us because we're so good at making our own little categories. And what's the next thing that the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit brings power, but not like we think. I think it's another human nature thing that when we think of power, especially God's power, especially divine power, we think of fireworks and great miracles and sky riding and just something really flashy. You know, Jesus always said that. He would do miracles and people would pay attention and follow him around for the miracle. Um, but I think I'm, I'm kind of cynical enough, I guess, that uh, I read these stories and I think, you know, the real miracle kind of is when human hearts are changed. It really is. I'm not just being glib because I know how, I know what it takes to change my heart. 
I know what it takes when I'm cowardly to make me brave. That's a miracle. I know what it takes when I, when I feel stingy or when I feel afraid of someone else to pull me out of myself and welcome someone else or share with someone else. That is nothing short of a miracle. And so you have the Holy Spirit bringing power on these disciples. In this, in this sense, the disciples are, in the Gospels, at best kind of clueless and hapless. At worst, they're really dumb and cowardly. <laughs> like, they, they ran away, they scattered like cockroaches when Jesus was arrested, and then they were still hiding when Jesus rose from the dead. He had to go and find them in their little hiding hole. These are not very brave people. And then the Holy Spirit comes. As you saw in the text today, in an instant, those clueless, feckless disciples became brave. Peter immediately get it, got up. You talk about having two days to prepare a sermon. Peter just stood up and just started sharing the gospel. These people who were so afraid of what they had to lose, even when Jesus was taken away from them with armed guards, suddenly they became fearless because they were given something in that moment that could never be taken away from them. Not by any Roman or, or military force, not by any religious pressure, not by any mockery, nothing could threaten what they had. The Holy Spirit gives them power. The Holy Spirit gives us power, but not like we think. Now finally, um, the last thing I want to talk about is that the Holy Spirit brings heaven. And this is kind of, this is kind of a weird one, but stick with me. So we think of, kind of, we think of heaven in these terms. We've trained ourselves that there's like, there's earth where we are, and then there's heaven, which is up, up here or somewhere else. Okay. It's this other place. Um, but the, the first century Jews, that they would have had this a, a different concept, that, that earth is like this, this plane or this place where, where God's creation is, but then heaven is this place where God reigns, that heaven is, is God's territory, where God is. And so this is why the temple was so important to them, because they believe earth overlap and interlock where God's throne is in heaven and where the Holy of Holies is in the temple, to them, they understood it as being the same place, that the veil between heaven and earth was so thin that it was non-existent there. God is there. We, um, we hear this in some other tradi traditions too, like the uh, Celtic Christian tradition. You may have heard they, they talk about thin places, that there, there are some places where Either there's been so much prayer or so much community or something that the, the, the barrier between heaven and earth is thinner than usual. You can feel that heaven is close by. So this is the one spot in the entire world for the first century Jews. This is the temple. This is where God is. And then the beauty of Jesus. Okay, so Jesus comes 
and he's God with us, right? He's the presence of God, and he's got feet, so he's walking around. He's bringing the presence of God all over the place to people who cannot go into the temple, much less into the Holy of Holies. He's bringing the presence of God on his own feet to people who have disabilities and can't walk to the temple, to Samaritans and other foreigners who are unclean and would never be welcomed in, to women who would never be welcomed in. And he's going to them. It's a new thing. It's exciting. And then as if this story can't get any crazier and more amazing and more miraculous, it always does. Because Pentecost comes, the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes, the presence of God comes to dwell in each one of the disciples. And now, suddenly, when Peter stops preaching, when the last hymn is sung, when they stand up and go out, look at the presence of God going to all corners of the world. And I know that those of us here, that we here, we're, we're thankful for it. It's the only reason we're here. Let me, I, I impromptu uh, polled the first service, so let me do it in this service. How many of you here have been to Jerusalem? A few hands. Okay, great. How many here have been to Jerusalem before uh, the year 70 AD when the temple was destroyed? There's nobody in the first... Wait, do I see... Oh, I see one hand back there. <laughs> Out of two services, only one person was in Jerusalem back then. So when it, when it comes to us being able to seek out the temple of God in Jerusalem for that presence, for that, for that purpose, uh, none of us have that opportunity. The only God came to dwell in those disciples, and they became walking, talking, loving, hugging, thin places. And they brought the presence of God to all the corners of the earth. That's why we're here today. And when we sing our final songs, when we say our final prayers here and stand up from our pews and go out, the presence of God is going with us. No language barrier, no disability, no cultural barrier, nothing will be able to stop it. In a few moments, I'm going to enter into a time of prayer. And uh, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to read the prayers of the people. And I'm going to read them in Spanish. Um, I know maybe there are a few people here who are fluent in Spanish. If you understand every word, uh, praise God, thank, thankful for you. Um, if you are like me and you can kind of stumble through and pick out some words, then that's great. If you don't understand any of it, that's great too. Because remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first time it was proclaimed, was not proclaimed in English. It was proclaimed in a language that nobody here speaks or at least nobody here was raised speaking. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we who are outsiders, we who are far away from this place where these things happened, 
that we have been brought in. That the gospel somehow, some way, by the Spirit was brought to us, was told, goes up to heaven. Let's remember how far it had to travel to get here, on what uh, imperfect vessels and imperfect human feet walked here to bring us that gospel. And also remember that there is no barrier that will stop God and his love to buckle in and ask, genuinely ask for God to send his spirit. That we can then go out and show and bring the presence of God into the lives of people who need it. So let's pray together. Bendito, eterno y bondadoso Dios, nos reunimos en este día para ensalzar tu nombre aquí en la tierra, como eres ensalzado en los cielos, congregados en la hermosura de tu creación. Nuestros labios aún declaran renueve, oh Dios, la gloria de tu imagen en nosotros, así como la vimos reflejada en Cristo tu Hijo. Confirma nuestra fe en tu Hijo amado, quien nos redime de pecado y nos ofrece vida abundante. Aviva en nosotros la promesa del gran Consolador a fin de conocerte más íntimamente y servirte más humildemente. Por la gracia de nuestro Señor y Salvador Jesucristo.